Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? How was your most recent viewing of Rogue One? Rogue One, a Star Wars story. A movie you can watch on Disney Plus right <laughs> now. It's true. Um, you know, I enjoy this movie. Oh, oh, oh you do? <laughs> yeah, I like it enough to uh, make a podcast about it with you. <laughs> Um, oh, good. <laughs> so I had a good time watching it, but I realized something while I was watching it. What did you realize? As always, I paid extra close attention to the segment for the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I realized is that this is not a fun, happy segment. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're very much correct. Yeah, this segment is going to be um, kind of tough, and I would like to acknowledge that and allow our audience to know that, and uh, just to make sure that you're like emotionally ready for the roller coaster we're about to go on. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm ready for the emotional roller coaster we're about to go on, but definitely uh, to our audience, we know things are kind of tough out there. Um, and if this isn't the right time for an episode where we uh, discuss the harder parts of this uh, of this film, we understand. Um, but there are some really hopeful moments in this, uh, a couple in in this segment, and definitely more to come. Um, and. We appreciate you being along for the ride with us. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, at its core, Rogue One is a movie about a, uh, you know, a, a battle that the rebels lose. Um, but there are triumphs within that loss. Uh, and, of course, the ultimate hope at the end that brings us to A New Hope. So oh. there, there are reasons to find joy in Rogue One. I just think in this segment in particular, we're going to be talking about a lot of heavy stuff. So, Alice, I'm ready if you're ready. Well, I'm ready. Let's get to it. All right. So where we left off last time, the segment of the uh, of the film we're going to cover today, we're going from about an hour and 53 minutes in the film uh, at, about the death of Chirrut. Uh, we're going all the way to two hours and one minute into the film with the line, you may fire when ready. And uh, so there's a lot going on in this segment. I've got a lot of notes. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna dive right in. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So we open the segment on um, Baze and Chirrut. Chirrut has uh, just passed away. Uh, Baze is holding him and praying and it's this really beautiful moment about um, about their love and their friendship. We talked about extensively last month. Um, but uh, we got to say, R.I.P. Chirrut. Yeah. Um, and it feels like with Chirrut, so goes the spiritual core of the Rogue One crew. Um, and yet, kind of not, actually. I suppose kind of not. Yeah, it's Chirrut definitely was the, like, spiritual center for this film and especially for the crew um, of of Rogue One and for Jin specifically. It was, like, he was a really important, like, spiritual compass for her. Um, but in this segment of the film especially, um, we get 
a lot of moments where that spirituality and that kind of like clarity of purpose uh, seems to pass on to the rest of the crew. Yeah, I mean, it starts with Bayes and kind of seems like it ripples out from there, right? Like, Bayes achieves some kind of peace with his spirituality in this moment, right? Yes. And we also see, one by one, characters achieving the same sort of peace that Chirrut achieved uh, as they die, um, which is really interesting. Like, yeah. The way that this movie handles the death of its main characters is to give them moments of, like, maybe not being okay with it, maybe not expecting it, but of knowing that the end is here. Um, and at least being able to reconcile that for a moment before they go. And that happens for, spoiler alert, um, it happens for <laughs> Bayes, it happens for Bodhi, it happens for Jin and Cassian. Like, they all get that moment where they are aware that it's happening and accept it. Yeah, yeah. And that, so that's going to be a big core of the conversation today is the acceptance and the, um, and people's purpose and what they've come to Scarif to accomplish. And yeah, so it's gonna, it's gonna be a bit of a, a bit of a rough one. Yeah. Um, so let's start with our friend Bodhi Rook. Bodhi Rook. Bodhi Rook. Cargo pilot. Local boy. The pilot uh, <laughs> who brought the message. He is the message. He's the pilot who brought the message. Uh, a rebel. He's a rebel now. And a, a leader. Yes. And we get to see one final moment of, of, of leadership from him. We get to, to see him interact with our good old friend, Admiral Radis. Yeah. And uh, his interaction with Radis, I must say, is one of the coolest moments in this movie. Like, yeah. when he's trying to get through and Radis hears him and then... Radis's chair like swings over the bubble window. Oh, yeah. And Radis looks down at Scarif and at Scarif base and like makes eye contact while he talks to Bodhi. Oh, that's incredible. It's so incredible. It's such a it's such a powerful move for him and such like a humanizing like in, like important thing that he's able to do here and something that you would never see the empire do no you could you could imagine a similar situation where a, an imperial officer is trying to desperately reach the star destroyers above and we would see the admiral of the imperial fleet on a bridge somewhere you know hands behind his back looking at nothing but responding to the radio call, right? Like, uh, go ahead, Scarif Base, I'm listening, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. You can Radis picture it. looks. He looks, and he, he looks cares. Down. And, and he acknowledges, we hear you, Rogue One, go ahead, tell us. This is Admiral Redis, Rogue One, we hear you! Yes. And that, that connection, like you said, it's humanizing, it's real, it's important, and it contrasts the Rebels against the empire like 
even though the rebellion requires foot soldiers that will die in this fight like that's something that's important to to the success of this mission right yeah everybody on the ground is important and acknowledged so when radis looks down and says i see you i hear you like it means something it does and 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 we feel that yes and he is able to take bodhi's like concise and clear directions and bodhi kind of kind of almost barks orders at him a little bit and is like this is what needs doing i need this from you and he says okay (laughs) he says all right and we're on it we have a plan like we're going to make this work there's no like hey you can't talk to me like that i'm an (laughs) admiral you know like none of that because they share the work here and they they understand that it's bigger than than anybody it's funny we uh we don't get a lot of time with radis to establish a character um i think our our like the most interaction we have with him is radis saying i say we fight <laughs> and then his decision to fight is off screen yes he's already next, on the way to scarab <laughs> and the next time we see him is in this moment where we see the heart of the rebellion like this is what matters this is why we fight for this sort of connection. And I think it's so important in this moment in this movie where we're watching our main characters start to die, right? Like they they will all fall one by one and Bodhi's moment is literally the next moment. Yes. And to have that acknowledgement of the importance of their sacrifice and their fight come from a leader in the rebellion does a lot of work to kind of undo the frustration we feel in that council room scene where the leaders of the rebellion are going to run away or they're not willing to make the sacrifice or they're not going to acknowledge the sacrifices that have already been made. Exactly. This undoes a lot of that. This says the leadership is here. The resources are here. We are fighting with you. We're fighting with with you. We're looking at you. We see you. We hear you. It's yeah. inc- incredibly important. And it's just one little look. And it, the <laughs> movie does not need to make space for Radis to look down. And yet there it is. And yet there it is. It's showing us. It does. It 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 works double duty here. It's showing us that compassion and that like strength and leadership, and also shows us how ding dang cool those Moncal ships are. Oh my god, they are so cool. They're so and cool. Actually, that Moncal ship has one of my favorite characters in the movie, which is the enthusiastic Moncal in the background of that bridge. Oh, the younger one? Yeah. Oh, who's he like, is great. Admiral, we got the message. I just <laughs> like love him. He's so good. <laughs> yeah. He's great. They're all great. And the ships are cool. You you can see the design of the bubble working with like the design of their eyes and you know how they would need to be able to see from the sides and and you know it's it's um the the design of them to go with the alien species is obviously like there's so much thought and care that goes into that. Um, and it seems like, it seems like nothing or something that you only just kind of barely see on screen, but it's so obvious when a film cares about what it's, about what it's showing you. Yeah. Um, and that Star Wars has always been good at that. Yeah. Those little details, which we won't see a Moncal cruiser again for quite some time in the like main original trilogy um at least not in combat 
and so to have it here and to have like this honestly the battle above scarif is one of my favorite space battles in star wars like oh yeah it's just so cool and and it looks amazing and having cruiser level rebel ships is just a neat thing that we don't see a lot in star wars so it's just nice to have oh it is it is really really cool um so we've got the you know we've got radis and bodhi uh coming up with a plan to get things done and and radis recognizes the uh the need to get the shield gate down um there's something that bodhi says that i want to that i want to talk about for a second that it's just like a little throwaway line and you can almost chalk it up to just bodhi kind of stuttering through um the sentence um but I wonder if it's important that Bodhi, when he starts talking to Radis, he says, we have the plans and then changes to they have the plans. <laughs> Do you think, is he correcting himself for clarity or because he doesn't feel like he's the one doing the work? I'd like to, both of those are good reads. Like he's just correcting himself because he's, he's, you know, he's still a little shaken up he's still finding himself his he's finding his voice again right yeah and we have the plans they have the plans is a neat little correction that he does on the fly it's Bodhi rook through and through so yeah. yes that's one good reading not feeling like he's doing the work he has watched people sacrifice themselves even for this right for this yes. conversation to happen yeah, just the uh, act of getting the cable strung up. Right. So I I can see that read too. I want to I want to give one more reading to this that Ooh. might help. Okay. We have the plans. Kind of implies I'm in the same place as the people with the plans. <laughs> right. And if you lose track of me, the plans are gone. Right. That's something he's trying not to make seem like it's true yeah that's what i kind of meant by like is he correcting himself for clarity right like, so like if he says we have the plans he's saying come find me right versus they have the plans somebody else has them and they're they're the important ones right so bodhi here is decentering himself and i think it's because like honestly maybe maybe he's doing a little bit of like meta talking right now <laughs> His main task is over as soon as he gets this message to Admiral Radis, right? Right. They have the plans. You need to do this. Locking the door behind you now. Goodbye. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, kind of, yeah, though, right? Yeah, though. Uh, and <laughs> and that, that finishing up and that putting putting the onus on the other active participants in the battle, putting it on Jin and Cassian allows Bodhi to exit the movie in the next moment. Yes. Uh, and so I think it's actually just kind of an expedient way for Bodhi to sum up before he's no longer part of the picture. Cause you can imagine like we have the plans. Oh, great. Well, fly off the planet we'll cover you <laughs> or transmit them right now <laughs> yeah rogue one rogue one what happened and then and then they've got this big like communication kerfuffle right right so instead we've got they have the plans and i think they have the plans works really well yeah um, 
I so, really yeah. like his delivery on that. I like when he, um, I like this whole bit when he's kneeling in front of the console and at one point he rips his goggles off and he's, you know, when he's trying to get everything, you know, set up and done and trying to pass on what he knows. I just, I really, I really like, this is a, a, a shining moment for Riz Ahmed and, and his incredible acting talent. Um, yeah, I uh, I stumbled upon a video of him reading Shakespeare. Oh. <laughs> uh, he's amazing in everything that he's in. He's uh, out of this world. He's so good. And, My whole heart. <laughs> uh, what does Bodie Rook have in this movie? 20 lines of dialogue, maybe? Maybe. And a lot of good looks. A lot of, like, <laughs> and, and well, he, he is so good looking and he gets to look. He gets, he does <laughs> he, he good. He gets to he's make faces that are expressive, yeah. <laughs> And he's and he's attractive. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> yes. yes. Um. Yeah. And and one of his like, and I say one one of his most shining moments also just happens to be his his final moment. Um. After he's done passing the message on, and now he's you know he's he's done his part. He has said what he needs to say. He's set up the cable. He's got the master switch flipped. He's lost people around him. And he says, after all of that, he says, this is for you, Galen. This is for you, Galen. Which is maybe, like, top five most important lines said in the entire movie. I agree. It is, I mean, talk about thesis statements, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what, what can one man do... In an impossible situation like Galen Ursa was in. Exactly. What one man can do is inspire others and give them the tools to make a difference. Exactly. He can do his part. He can try his hardest. And then he can inspire others to help. And and Bodhi Rook is the... He is proof positive of the positive effect that... A person in an impossible situation where they're they're forced to do bad, they're mm-hmm. forced to do evil, right? Yes, can make good things happen. Exactly. And and so Bodie Rook acknowledging Galen in that moment. Galen has been absent from the film since he died, right? Yeah. He's about to be back in this movie in a couple of scenes. In like a in huge a big way. way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we're Bodhi's also going to set us up for oh yeah this is all about Galen Erso and what he did yeah Galen Erso uh, is the man who looked Bodhi in the eye and said you can do right by yourself yeah he gave Bodhi the the inspiration and the like friendship really that he needed to realize that the empire was bad and that he needed to do his part to make sure that it wasn't around anymore. Yeah. And then Bodhi Rook literally followed Galen Erso's daughter into hell. Yeah. Um, into the belly of the beast. Yeah. The, no worse place for them to go. And he, he does it for, it's all for Galen and for Galen's daughter uh galen urso is the is the catalyst for the whole dang movie do you do you see did you see what i did you i see do what I did see there? what you did there 
call him the catalyst that's the name yes. that's the name of the that's book. the name that's, of the book yeah it's the name of the book that's no, about I, galen yeah, yeah i know no you, yeah. yeah you got it okay. it's the name of the book yeah <laughs> but it's true <laughs> galen urso is the catalyst for everything that happens in this film there would be no message for the pilot to bring there would be no message for Jin to get inspired by there would be no trip to Edu. there would be no death star or flaw in the death star if not for galen urso yeah and so so it sounds a little bit to me like you're saying galen urso is the protagonist of the movie <laughs> which is not it's not the right answer no um but it is an interesting answer like, if we try to see Galen as the protagonist, but, like, an absent protagonist, right? Uh, a protagonist that is not active, that is only really, like, on screen in the present of the film for a few moments before he just dies, right? Right. But we see his actions carrying through all of the other protagonists. Right. Uh, and that's just a wild thing to think about, that a character so much in the background is doing so much to make this movie happen exactly. exactly it's fantastic it's so good i have a whole episode dedicated to galen urso stored in the back of my brain <laughs> we're gonna we'll we'll do it he's he's so important yeah definitely as as one of the uh addendums at the end of the film right <laughs> um so yeah this is for you galen he says and then uh r.i.p Bodhi rook yeah, a grenade lands next to him, and we get the shot. It's it's one of a few shots of our characters' faces as they die, as they as they experience the knowledge of their own death. Yeah. Um. You know, Chirrut had it. Mm -hmm. We we see the smile on his face, the peace on his face. As the explosion happens yep. and he dies. We're going to see Baze have it in a minute. We see Jin and Cassian hold each other through it. Yeah. Uh, we even saw K2SO, like the light literally leaving his eyes. Like we we get really up close and personal with death in this, in this movie. Yeah. And Bodhi looks at the grenade and you can see on his face that he knows... And you can see on his face that he's not going to do anything about it because there's nothing to do. Yes. It's um, a, a resignation, but a, like a determination. Yeah. It's not a, it's not fear so much as it's like, it's almost, I see in his face almost a little bit of a, I'm not afraid, but I'm also not quite ready. He's, he, he, he doesn't look scared, but he looks a little a little shocked. Like, oh, there it is. This is yeah. how I die. Yeah. A weaker movie would have have Bodhi like roll his eyes or something. <laughs> like like, uh, oh, here we go again or something. Yeah. Or or a weaker movie would have him say something like, No. Yeah. And then, but but instead we just get his face and we get him knowing. Yeah. Um and and I, I think knowing is, like, good in this movie. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about other Star Wars death. Um, because we're about to do a lot of Star Wars death in Rogue One. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm thinking about characters that get to experience that peace um, and that knowledge that this is their time 
before they die. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is one. Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon Jinn. Again, yeah, that that moment of serenity Mm -hmm. that he experiences. I don't know if Qui-Gon qualifies for this award. uh, (laughs) I guess he was caught a little bit by surprise. Right, that that meditation that he does is like a cool Jedi thing. But then he he does get surprised by Maul getting him, right? That's true. Um, but I, I, I connect him and, and, and Obi-Wan, obviously, for obvious reasons, with that meditation and that, yeah. like, serenity before death. Yeah. Um, the knowledge that it could come for you. Yeah. I guess is, is similar to the knowledge of, oh, it's already here for me, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you see it in, yeah, you see it most most strikingly in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, that, that moment where he looks at Luke and knows that this is his moment and that he's about to become one with the Force and strike me down and you'll be, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine is a <sighs> weird threat to make <laughs> um, for a Jedi. But of course, it's this metaphorical thing where he's going to act through Luke and guide Luke. Yeah. Um, Oh my you gosh, know, Luke... I saw something on Twitter the other day that was when Obi-Wan looks over at Luke and Leia runs up behind him. And so he sees the twins like reunited and together for oh, the first man. time in 19 years and and then goes with peace. Like, yeah. can you imagine just my whole... I'm going to start crying, actually. <laughs> like, there's... my whole heart. <laughs> there's no way that in 77 they knew that that's what that moment would be. No. And yet... But you can feel it. Yeah, it, it is it is beautiful in that moment. And yeah. that, that connection is really cool. And Luke gets that serenity too. Um, That knowledge that this is his moment. Ugh. And, and what's interesting about the Jedi in both cases is that it's a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, you could see Luke trying to find another way... Uh, you could see Obi-Wan deciding he's going to duel Vader until until the bitter end. Um, but both of them choose that out, that becoming one with the Force, uh, transcending this moment, you know, gaining a different kind of power and knowledge. And that's cool and beautiful for them. The Rogue One crew doesn't get that. No. It, it, when, when they die, it... It does come for them, and it's not what they want. Yeah. But it is something that they can, they can square to, like they can they can arrive at. And I think Bodhi's face and that shot that we get of his face is a nice example of that. That yeah. complexity, because it's not it's not happy and serene, and Bodhi passing and becoming a blue ghost. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it's not, it's not as positive, but it is not wholly negative. Ooh, I'm crying. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to make you, you cry. No, it's okay, you got me. That's not the first time it's happened on the show, and I'm sure it won't be the last. Um, woo, okay. Well, I was going to say let's move on, but the next thing that happens is Baze. <laughs> oh, man. I know. So, Baze goes down like he lived. Bravely, brashly, devoted to cheer it. Um, 
he's taken out guys one by one, you know, he, and that, and when he's shooting the, the death troopers down one at a time, taking, taking hits as he goes, but really just, this isn't Bay's up against an army anymore. It's just Bay's and a, and a guy, right? It reminded me, or made me think of that this fight continues down to the very last man. Every shot, every action, every little thing you do, so long as it's done with conviction and hope, that's worth doing. That's what the rebellion's all about, right? It is. And it's been a central idea of this whole mission from the moment that they conceive of it, right? Make ten men feel like a hundred. Exactly. Exactly. Baze is ten men. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he 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 is in terms of presence, in terms of raw physical strength, in terms of devotion. Damage Baze done. is ten men. Baze is ten men, and those uh, ten men feel like a hundred. So Baze is a hundred men. Yes. Yes. And and maybe even more than that. Absolutely. You know, Baze's Baze's march is an interesting one because. It doesn't feel like the only move he could have made. Um, it, it does feel kind of like a choice, right? Yeah. Like, Chirrut dies saying, you know, look for me in the forest and you'll always find me. I don't know if that's something Baze is interested in. Um, I think that without Chirrut, Baze is ready for his blaze of glory. But I think that is him looking for Chariot in the Force, right? Trying Bay to find says, that guidance. He says maybe what that means to him is looking into the Force, like finding your own balance in the Force. And, and, and to Baze, that means death or joining Chariot in death. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's a good read because it... The, the difference between Baze's death and Chirrut's and Bodhi's and K2's is that it doesn't feel like he achieves a whole lot more in his death than he did before it. Does that make sense? I suppose it's it's like like he's been like a like like consistent like he's doing just what he did before dying as as in in the act of dying yeah it's more more of the same more of his fight and more of his like strengths i i see what you mean he's he's bringing his whole self to the fight now yeah uh down down to his prayer down to his his spirituality if if it if he has it which is which is the inverse, the mirror image of Chirrut's. Yeah. We talked last month about that, about what it means to flip the prayer. And you asked me what I thought that it meant, but now I've had a little more time to think about it. Um, I wonder if instead of saying I'm one with the force and the force is with me, I'm one with the force and the forces with me, which centers kind of your spiritual journey. I am one with the force is the first thing you say, right? Yeah. I wonder if he, by flipping it and saying the forces with me, 
and I'm one with the force. Um, if he's like decentering himself and centering his his connection to the force, who is Chirrut, maybe it's now Chirrut is with me, and thus I am one with the force. That's beautiful. I I actually I love it. Um what is the force for Baze? You know? Yeah. It, it, the, what is the force? <laughs> is is the force something he grew up believing in and outgrew? Is the force uh a magic power that lets you lift rocks? <laughs> uh is the force uh, a thing that protects you? Baze protects Chirrut, not the Force, right? I protected you. <laughs> like, for Baze, Chirrut is the Force. The guiding light in the universe. Yeah. Um, And Baze... to say the Force is with me is to say Chirrut is still with me. Exactly. I and mean, when, when Chirrut says, Baze Malbus was once the most devoted guardian of us all, um, to that to... To finish that thought, to continue that, you know, line of thinking, um, Bayes Malbus was once completely devoted to the Force as an abstract, um, and is no longer, um, but is completely devoted to Chirrut. And it, it maybe it just speaks to Bayes and his need to be focused on on something tangible, something real, something that hasn't hurt him. Maybe his his like devotion to the guardians got him hurt or he and he saw the, you know, the fall of the guardians and f- the fall of his city, but never the loss of Chirrut before. And that's what's solid and real for him. Um and that's why the force is with him and he, he is one with the force now. Yeah. I I don't think I don't think there's I don't think there's a better interpretation in this or any other galaxy oh. of of <laughs> the flipping of the prayer, Alice. I think I think you did it. Oh. Um and for me you you heard what I was saying earlier. I yeah. I was questioning how this moment and Baze's death stacks up against the other uh sacrifices of the characters uh for me this has completely redefined it oh uh and it's uh, it's amazing now uh and as we lose bays it's almost exactly how we lost bodhi yeah it's the knowledge that this is it an oncoming explosion and a close-up of a face and the last thing he does, though, is look back at Jared. Yeah. He looks back and he sees his, you know, his lifeless form, but that's the last thing he wants to see before he dies. Yeah. He wants to carry that with him. One last connection to Chirrut. And maybe that will help him find Chirrut in the forest. When he says, when Chirrut says, look to the force and you will always find me, and Chirrut is the force... If Baze is looking to Chirrut as he dies. He's just doing exactly what Chirrut asked him to do. Exactly. Oh, I'm crying again. Oh, <laughs> no. <yes. laughs> 
No, I, I will admit it. I am feeling misty-eyed, uh, and it's because it's because we lost. We just lost two heroes. Yeah. Uh, two two guys who have done right by themselves. At exactly. the end of it all. Exactly. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to take a moment and return to the archives and talk about something that I just find like amazing? <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, well, let's jump back indoors. We're back okay. in back in the tower in Scarif. Okay. Um. So Jin's climbing this tower of <laughs> floppy disks, right? Mm-hmm. And at the top of this tower of floppy disks is the most unreasonable obstacle she will ever face. <laughs> it is a hole with uh, a metal thing in it that <laughs> opens and closes real fast. Some kind of air intake valve, maybe? I guess, but it, it has like a... I, how do you even describe this? It's round, mm -hmm. and the, the it's got like fins that close together uh that are sharp really sharp. it makes like a shing noise every time <laughs> it closes uh-huh and then goes shoop and opens every three seconds yeah and we need to watch our girl Jin urso climb into that she kills it and she, she nails job. it. She looks at it, assesses it, jumps through it. Like, she doesn't, like, give it a couple of cycles to figure it out. She just climbs through. And she, she watches it up... as she hangs there and get and gets the timing. But she, I like that she doesn't hesitate. Yeah. She, she, like, watches it go and then goes, all right, I got this. Yeah, I know exactly how this works. I know how to do it. And then she just climbs through it. That's very generous. So. It's wild. I did put this in my notes as your favorite part of the, it, of the segment. It's because it stands out at, as this um, incredible display of, of athleticism. <laughs> it's also, like, some spy movie BS that does not <laughs> belong in this moment. And it, I don't know. It's It's not silly. Like, you're like, oh, that could kill her. But it's, like, so simultaneously inconsequential to Jin, who is just like, yeah, I'm just going to power through, actually. And also potentially life-ending. Like, at the same time, it just, like, stands out to me as this really strange stunt. I, I know. <laughs> I think I look at this at this part and then and the next thing we've got is Jin up on the roof and she has to do the thing where she she plugs in the data pad but then she has to go run to the end of the of the catwalk and turn the antenna and then run back. Yeah. I of course I love this. I love everything that Jin or so does. <laughs> she she is she looks great doing it. She's athletic and brilliant and and the determination on her face is powerful and amazing. But why? Why? But why? <laughs> but why, though? But why, though? Is it just, like, a little bit extra for, for time? Are we just getting the timing of the ending exactly right? And what we needed was just, like, two minutes of extra work for Jin to do? I, I have a theory. Ooh. 
I was gonna save it for when she's on the catwalk, but if you want to talk about it now, I'm like, I'm here for it. I mean, she's pretty much on the catwalk now. Right. We've she's got her climb running on the catwalk, jumping through a hole, running on the catwalk. And then the next thing we see is the crashing of the destroyer. So right. this is, I think this is where we need to talk about it. Okay, I, I do have a theory. Uh, and this is like, put on your 2016 thinking caps, Ooh. everybody. Uh, because I want to take you back to that era of movies. Okay. Um, I saw a couple of movies in like a three year span where the climax had this sort of thing in it. Where every time the protagonists wanted to do something, there was, like, one more step. The one that really stands out to me in terms of, uh, like, a great example of this is Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh my gosh! No, this is exactly Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah! The, like, putting the file in a place, but you have to, like... But you must obtain the three key cards in order to advance. (laughs) Uh, I... At the time, called it video game climax. Like, you can't end the level just by, like, having your character walk into the climax. You've got to open the door and obtain the item and then use the item. And, like, it does feel unnatural Mm -hmm. to me. I know that by having these extra moments, we're able to insert additional action beats. So Jin goes to the broadcast thing, and the broadcast thing is like, you must align the tower. Walk out on the catwalk to do that. Uh, And Jin is like, okay. So she walks out to the catwalk to do that, right? Because we have that extra time, we can then have a TIE fighter fly by and blow up the catwalk and Jin gets flung backwards and has to climb her way out of that. It looks great. It's super cool and very tense and we worry about Jin the whole time. So like, I get it, but also it does feel very artificial. It feels like the extension of the tension of the moment just for trying to fit in a couple more of these images, these action images that, again, yes, look really cool and make us worry about the character, but at the same time, don't work. Yeah. I guess the other thing that this that it accomplishes is it gets the timing of getting Krennic on the roof down perfectly. Okay. We Like, when the TIE fighter hits the bridge and she falls, we watch the lights flicker in Krennic's elevator. So right. we recognize visually that those things are happening simultaneously. Right. There's a, there's a synchronizing of things. And because there are a few moving parts in this climax, right, we are able to spend more time cutting between them if Jin doesn't just achieve her goals. Right. Uh... At the same time, though, I could see Jin is climbing, Krennic is riding an elevator, Jin makes it onto the roof, and Krennic arrives without half of this runaround with the catwalk and the realigning of the dish and all of that. I'm not trying to nitpick this movie. I just think (laughs) this is video game ending. Yes. Uh, And I feel like movies have since kind of gotten over that a little bit um but it's i think for anybody in the audience who is listening who wants to write a screenplay 
Avoid this, please. Yes. <laughs> Avoid the need for your protagonist to accomplish, like, like, oh, we're about to to win, but first, step one, step two, step three. We need yeah. to, it's, it's like little, like, side quests that they need to do. Video game ending is a perfect way to put it. It's, yeah. um, this is the only part of the movie... Um, this and the teeny tiny little baby tentacles on the Borgalit's tummy um, <laughs> that I would call unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So much of this movie is so tight. I mean, we can spend 20 minutes talking about the look on a character's face. Yes. Well, we have done it in previous sections of this podcast. We've <laughs> done we, it today. We did it tonight. Yep. Uh, there's... <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything to say about Jin going, uh, I have to realign the antenna that tells me anything about her character, tells me anything about the situation. Nope. It doesn't add anything. No. And it should. It, it, it should. It doesn't mean that it should be cut. And it doesn't mean that it's not awesome. But in a movie with a screenplay and characters as tight as this is... With no single second wasted, this feels, um, this feels overdrawn. I guess just a the, little bit. The one thing we do get is that Jin is pretty beat up at this point, and yeah. we do get to kind of acknowledge that as she like hobbles a little bit out to realign the antenna. Yeah. And then, of course, we have to re-acknowledge it because the catwalk blows up, and she has to climb up it like. Ah, Jin. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah, and then she yeah, she limps around the catwalk and and when she finally climbs back up, she's limping even more. Like something happened to her foot, to her ankle or something cuz she So is... there there's visual information. Yeah. And it does it does set us up for an amazing confrontation, but you know, we should talk about something else. My other second favorite part of this scene uh of this entire movie actually. <laughs> The greatest shot in cinema history. Definitely time to talk about Crashing Star Destroyers. Yeah, I mean, I've got an idea. Let's pull <laughs> up a uh, Hammerhead Corvette. Pull up a Hammerhead Corvette. I have an idea. And then have <laughs> it have it go sublights to full. And push one Star Destroyer into another Star Destroyer like a <laughs> knife. That like would be super cool. Knife slices through the middle of it and breaks it apart like it's nothing but Legos. It Just, honestly, Legos is the operative word. Like it looks that's like what Legos. I see every I time too. I see this. I see the <laughs> world's greatest Lego set breaking in slow motion in space. It's out of this world. It is so good. I, yeah. The shot of the Star Destroyer hitting the other Star Destroyer is as a climax of this battle, as as one of several climaxes, but like a really important one. Yeah. Just killer. Absolutely killer. I, I cannot emphasize enough how cool the way that the two... I know that this is 100% CG and it's just a, a computer effect, but... The way that the two Star Destroyers smashing into each other Ugh. just looks, it looks so plausible. Like, it looks real. Yes. And it looks like you could see every little piece. And 
honestly, if no other shot ever looks as good as that, I will be satisfied because that's the best looking shot in Star Wars. It's yes. so cool. It is it is absolutely A plus in the Hall of Fame of all Star Wars scenes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is as so an added iconic. benefit, we get we get the crashing one that goes into the shield generator, and that's a cool shot too. It's just all cool. It is the rule of cool taken <laughs> to its logical conclusion. What's the coolest thing we could do with two Star Destroyers? Crash them into each other. One cuts into the other one like a knife. What 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 would happen after that? That would be cool. Oh, uh, it would it, like, fall into the and shield save generator. the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. It's I don't know. Really neat. I'm maybe gushing too much, but it it really does. Every time I I have to watch it again. Yeah. It's just that good. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. And the music swells and everything is just, oh, just wonderful. It really is a, a, a highlight of this movie. And you see that shot and this, like, part of the film com- uh, complemented by basically everyone, even people who don't like this movie. Yeah. To, to them, I say, just listen to our show and you'll like the movie. I promise. <laughs> it, it's worked once, it'll work again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true, though. The battle above Scarif and uh, the aftermath are what so many non-fans of Rogue One say are the best parts of Rogue One. And it might be because they are the... They are the... I want to say this in a nice way. I don't know if I'm going to be able to. Uh, give it but, a shot. But they're the they're really easy to like. Like, there's just so much cool stuff that happens in them, and like, yeah, it's undeniable. Well, that's a nice way. No, that's a nice way to put it. It's easy to like. It's it's like, I mean, gosh, I mean, like, what what can you say? They're easy to like. That's a perfect way to put it. That's just it's just it. It's cool. It's satisfying. It is, it's well made, it's well shot, it looks great. Like, what, like, it, you gotta love it. Yeah, and I, and I think, I think gotta love it is a nice way to put it, too. Like, you, who's gonna say that this is not a cool space battle? Like, <laughs> that person is, is contradicting you on purpose, if they're saying it. They, Absolutely. they know how cool this is. They know how great of a space battle this is, and they know how great of a concept it is to crash two star destroyers into each other. My only gripe is that photon torpedoes are like way overpowered in this fight. <laughs> I ion iron ion, uh, ion torpedoes. That's yeah. right. Ion torpedoes are way overpowered in this well, fight. Well, you get basically an entire X-wing squadron throwing out all of their ion torpedoes at once at one star destroyer. Which no, seems that, like that you should Y-wings. do that more often. Oh, were they Y-Wings? Yeah, it's Gold Squadron. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Flies over the Star Destroyer, hits it with the Ion Torpedoes, disables it, right? Yes. I'm just like... That Star Destroyer's disabled! That Star Destroyer's disabled! Star Destroyers are no longer a problem, actually. Any Ion weapon... (laughs) No, It's like six hits. Boom, Many Ion weapons. (laughs) (laughs) I think they just got lucky. Really? Yeah, I think it was just like... I, I think it wasn't like... Oh, I don't think this could happen to every star destroyer. I think yeah, the, you think, the you number, think they might... the number and placement of them just happen to be perfect. The, because they might when have he some says, kind of protection against 
you know, ion ion torpedoes. Yeah, I feel like the 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 way that that he reacts to when Radis is like that star destroyer's disabled. That star destroyer's disabled. It's like he's surprised almost. He wasn't quite expecting the star destroyer to be disabled. He's like, oh my gosh, it didn't just not blow up. It's right there for pushing around. <laughs> <laughs> like a big space knife. I've got an idea. <laughs> It's perfect. Yeah, space knife. And it just, yeah, it just hits it at just the right angle to make the coolest crash ever. Yeah. It is an, an unreal scene. It's yeah. so good. It is. It's perfect. Um. Okay, so we're back on the roof. Jim's in With- danger. She's climbing up off the catwalk. The TIE fighters hit and we got Krennic freaking out in the elevator. I wrote in the note, I wrote Krennic panic. <laughs> um... As he's getting more and more worked up in the elevator as it goes up. Like, what is he going to find up there? It is, he, he understands the gravity of this. And he's freaking out in the elevator. Chronic panic. And he comes out of the smoke. Right as Jen's about to put the thing back into the tower. He comes out of the smoke blaster drawn. And he's just spitting out his lines. Who are you? He says. Who are you? And Jin answers. I'm Jin Asa, daughter of Galen and Nera. You've lost. What I love about how Jin answers is that despite everything, she is going to pull herself up a little taller and she's going to answer with attitude. Yeah. And despite everything it's still Jin. like she has been waiting for this moment she's been denied it a couple of times and here she is facing down the man who murdered her entire family yep you know first her mother then her father's like life livelihood like metaphorically murdered him right and then also was about to murder him in full sight of her just a couple of hours ago also it i don't know if she made the connection but um if he's working on the death star and the death star killed saw killed then... saw too mm-hmm. i i don't know if Jin knows that but it works dramatically I mean, she knows he's involved somehow, right? Yeah. And, and so Jin pulls herself together and puts a little puts a little bit of a smirk on and a little bit of a a, a chin into her her response. Who are you? She says, "You know who I am. I'm Jin Urso, daughter of Galen and Lyra. And Lyra. And Lyra." <laughs> Honestly, she and is Lyra. channeling her mommy in this, like the "you'll never win," the the attitude that oh my god, because Lyra says her last words, "you'll never win." Galen says to to Krennic, "you'll never win," and Krennic's like, "oh, where have I heard that before?" Right. And then Jin Urso gets to look him in the eye and say, "You've lost. You will never win." Do it. You'll never win. Now, where have I heard that before? You've lost. Oh, I have. Have I? Her whole family has had to play this game against 
or Synchronic middle manager. <laughs> and she gets the satisfaction of telling him to his face, you lost. This is who I am. I win. You I win. lose. Regardless of what has happened. And she she gets to lie. She's like, I just told everybody. Like, she's she's lying. She's bluffing. Yeah. Because uh, she knows she hasn't sent the plans yet. But, <laughs> but she's, you know, she's stalling and she's bluffing. And... But regardless, even if she doesn't end up being able to send the plans, she started a fight. This is like the 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 first time that the entire rebel fleet has amassed to cause damage to the empire and they're doing the work. Yeah. And so she's she's like I <laughs> I win. You lost. This speech is like our conclusion statement in the essay about the character of Jin Erso. If we if I was writing a five paragraph essay all about Jin Erso, which I, I, I have done and will continue to do. <laughs> the character of Jin Erso is wrapped up and concluded here. She opens the movie as a baby, relying on her parents and watching them die, watching her mother die, watching her father get taken. We see her dream about that moment and about her mother telling her to trust the force trust galen but she doesn't believe it she's not gonna do it not until she gets that message from her father and realizes that not all hope is lost the journey of Jin Erso re-accepting her family and coming to terms with who she is and where she's from and the blood that runs in her veins the conclusion of that of that character arc and what brought her from apathy to leading the rebellion in this moment is I am Jin Erso, the daughter of Galen and Lyra. And there is nothing more powerful in this movie than that. Yeah. It's self-actualization. And it's, it's, it's not at the sacrifice of any part of Jin. No. Because she what she had to sacrifice was her apathy. But her apathy wasn't her. It was a, a reaction to her circumstances. It was a learned behavior. It was something that she had to had to put on to survive. And she has now shed that to become her truest self. To stare down or syncretic and tell him who she is. Uh it's great. Does she say anything else after this? Yes. She says after she says you've lost, she says uh my father's revenge. He put a fuse in your machine and I've just told the whole galaxy how to light it. My father's revenge. He built a flaw in the Death Star. He put a fuse in the middle of your machine, and I've just told the entire galaxy how to light it. I see I see that you've written a note here. The spark that burns the Empire to the ground. Oh, it's weird. 
That's we right. are the spark that will burn the first order to the ground. Yeah, I've heard that, that light, somewhere from that someone. Lights the spark that lights the fire that burns the first order to the ground. Yeah. Uh, that's weird. It's, uh, you know, just a casual note that I wrote in teeny tiny little letters here. Um, yeah, the the use of the word fuse and to to light the fuse too, um, to and told the whole galaxy how to light it. Um, it's very very similar in idea to to that to that classic Poe Dameron. Um, well, it came from Holdo, right? Holdo said it, and then Poe Dameron took it. Kind of yeah. like how how Jin took rebellions are built on hope from Cassian. <laughs> <laughs> um. We are, yeah, we are the spark. We are the fuse. Or, or you know, in, in this case, it's literally a fuse in the middle of the Death Star. Yeah, I would I would like to, um, you drew the comparison, and it's a good one, right? The spark that will light the, the fire that will burn down the First Order, and the fuse that will be lit and destroy the Death Star. But what's the contrast? It's explosiveness. It's, it's literal. <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between a slow building movement that needs to happen, a change in the galaxy that needs to happen. You know, uh, this is not a rise of Skywalker podcast yet. No, no, not yet. (laughs) Um, But what, what ends up winning for our heroes is a unification at the end of the rise of Skywalker, right? It's the, the showing up of the rebel fleet and the rebel fleet isn't a fleet. It's the fleets, it's everybody. There's more of us. It's not an army. It's just people. I think the difference between the resistance of the sequel trilogy and the rebellion is that basically these are these are people who are going to do much more dramatic, violent action to get faster results that's it's it's about explosiveness it's about waiting and then lighting the fuse and striking from a hidden base right yeah the resistance is more out in the open a little bit more official and they need to change hearts and minds i think in many ways that kind of speaks to a a really deep difference between the two trilogies um and i'd like to jump into that more but it feels a bit like a uh, like a different topic for another day. Feel like that is an that is like an episode on its own, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and yeah, I know we're rapidly approaching the end of the of the film, but there's so much more to talk about, and that yeah. is yeah, definitely table that for a future discussion. Um, because that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> uh, but we keep going. Right, Keep because going. Krennic, Krennic has to get the last word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sees, when she says, you've lost, and he says, I lose nothing but time. <laughs> he says, the shield is up. The shield is up. Your signal will never reach the rebel base. All your ships in here will be destroyed. I lose nothing but time. You, on the other hand, die with the rebellion. And I lose the ships in the time. air will all be destroyed. <laughs> I lose nothing but time, and you, on the other hand, die with the rebellion. And I just how do we sing Ben Mendelssohn's praises often enough on the show? We do sing it often, but we don't sing it as often as we could, which would be all the time. Which would be all the time because he crushes this. 
spitting out his lines with so much vitriol. Just, he's so angry. I he, love he, he the really pause. thinks he's got something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love the pause between nothing and but time. It's like, I lose nothing but time. <laughs> uh, like, the insistence. What, what I love about Krennic is that if Tarkin said what Krennic says, you would believe him. Imagine Tarkin saying, I lose nothing but time. Ships will be destroyed. My shield is up. The shield is up. You may yeah. fire when ready. You may fire when ready. <laughs> yeah. But because because Orson Krennic is saying it, there's a grain of doubt. There's a desperation. He's clinging to an idea of an invincible empire and a rebellion that is nothing but flies that need to be swatted. Yes. And he's so wrong and knows it. And you can hear that doubt. And that's that's what Mendelssohn brings to this performance with everything that he says. Yes. It's, it's that, that clinging to an idea of confidence, but not exuding it. Uh, and this is the last thing we hear him say, too. Yeah. The, um, yeah, uh, and more from, from, like, like when he go to go back to like the iconic we stand here amidst my achievement not yours yeah. the, what you're talking about like the 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 appearance of confidence and this like this like deep insecurity about not being recognized or by by stumbling in front of somebody who could promote him and make him you know make him greater than he is you know that like i lose nothing but time it's he's al- it's like he's almost trying to convince himself of it like I'm, I will not lose this. No, at the end of this, I go back to my office. I sign the paperwork, and maybe I know. get reprimanded a little bit for losing some time, but right. nothing else. I will lose nothing but time. It's like he's saying. Yep, but instead, <laughs> instead he loses uh, blood flow to his right shoulder. Yeah, he gets absolutely hammered in the back and uh when i was when i was watching this i don't know in my head i had it that he gets shot in the same shoulder that lyra shoots him in uh, he does he doesn't he gets shot in the back of the other shoulder oh. um almost like a mirror i guess of how how it started because he That's opens like poetry. he op- it's like poetry it rhymes uh he opens the film getting shot in the in the shoulder by lyra mm-hmm. um and he closes it by getting shot in the other shoulder by Cassian Andor. Wielding uh, a holdout pistol, holding his side, leaned up against a pillar, barely, barely alive. Should, should probably be dead. He shouldn't be standing. He fell in a Star Wars movie. That The fall damage alone. <laughs> we talked about this last episode, but like uh, the fall damage alone. <laughs> but like all jokes aside... You know, we talked about how we don't believe sometimes, even knowing how this movie ends, we don't believe he gets up from that fall because it's, it's just so, so dramatic and dull and this thud and it, it you can feel it hurting your back when you watch it happen. And then he just lays there, not moving. And, and, and... Jin's determination is redoubled and she continues to climb and we've already lost people when it happens. So we believe it could be real. 
but then Cassian showing up at the end here is nothing short of miraculous. It's miraculous, and this is like this is like a hero moment. This is, yeah, this is everything about Star Wars, about the heroes of of the rebellion and the heroes of the resistance and and the people that can step up and and defy all logic and all odds to fight through any kind of horrible injury. <laughs> Most people lose hands. He broke his whole spine. <laughs> yeah. And still managed to get up there. And it's uh uh, <laughs> uh. There's there's a certain uh ruggedness to this moment that Cassian exudes, like a like a extreme handsomeness. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, the the wounded warrior thing is very real. It's very real. It's a uh, good look for him. Yeah, and it's... The holdout pistol, I think, is also really cool. Because it's just like Jin self-actualizing and shedding the parts of herself that were bad and toxic and were keeping her from doing what she needed to do. Cassian is still a saboteur, a spy, an assassin. The, the holdout pistol is the only weapon that makes sense here. Yeah. And he gets credit from behind. Kind of like how he shot Tivik from behind earlier in the, in the, you know, in the movie. Yeah. But this is the right thing to do. This isn't an act of, of self-preservation. This is, yeah. he is saving Jin in this moment and it's, the world. Yeah. The galaxy. It's heroic instead of morally gray because now Cassian is doing the work of the rebellion yeah where where before he was a tool now he is an agent like and and i say that with like a capital a somebody <laughs> with agency yeah um and he is able to make choices and do things beyond the scope of what a tool could have done um and it it's great it's so good to see him and i think the the thing about this scene that's really interesting though is that Jin really wants to like kick Krennic a lot. <laughs> she just wants to fight him so bad. She uh, wants to fight him so so, bad. so when the when the first blaster shot goes off and Jin is looking at Krennic, what I noticed this time is that Jin like ducks because she thinks that Krennic has fired and she's gonna try and get the upper hand by dodging. Yeah. She's uh, good. She's good. And, She's so quick. And she probably wouldn't have won that speed test. Um, but she was gonna try, right? Yeah. Uh and then She was ready. Know, That's why she was bluffing and stalling. She was right. ready. And then seeing Cassian, she runs to him first, but then she's like Oh, wait, I could kill Krennic again right now. <laughs> well, first uh, she's gotta send the plans. Right. She knows what's important. She right. sends the plans. Of course. And, and you know, the computer voice says, transmitting. And we're like, okay, well, the movie can be over now. Right. <laughs> I, was, I, wrote, <laughs> I put that in my notes. <laughs> that this this could be the end of the film. Sweet, beautiful, hopeful music plays. The plans get set. The destroyer crashes into the shield gate. They did it. <laughs> Everybody jumps to hyperspace and we reconvene at Yavin Base. Yeah, this could be the end of the movie. This, like, could be it. It's not. Like, of course it's a great and horrible tragedy, but, like, this could be the end. 
Jin and Cassian walk away bruised and, and battered, but like redeemed and together. Yeah. Like redeemed. They both of them, Jin redeemed her identity. Cassian redeemed his actions. Like they are like on top of the world right now and together. And yeah. this, this, this could be the, you know, the, this is where most fan fictions end or start. <laughs> the like rebel captain fan fiction uh, uh, that I definitely read all the time. Yeah. Starts here. Because it's... what happens at this moment is Ezra Bridger opens a portal <laughs> from the world between worlds sure. and is like, hey guys, jump in. Snatches them away. No. And which, then they go and open a coffee shop. What generally happens is <laughs> that they in, they take the elevator and when they get off the elevator, they're like, oh, look, it's Krennic's ship. And they just steal it and fly <laughs> off. Which like You know what? That makes more sense than the thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> the thing you said was very Star Wars, though. I mean, I'd watch it. I Of course I would watch it. Um, But yeah, this is like like the like a big like cr- like crutch that fan fiction like leans on that's that's this could be the end of the movie sure. um but boy jim wants to fight krennic so bad. she really just wants to kick she krennic to right kick in his him. shoulder like she gosh she wants she's like lunging at him like this is the man she's seen this man in her nightmares her entire life like since she was eight years old and she watched this man kill her mother like yeah this, like, you can't even blame her for wanting to go kick him in that wounded shoulder. <laughs> I, I do want to shoot ask him again you, or something. I, I want to ask you a complicated question here, though. Okay. Do you think it's okay that the movie doesn't let Jin get that vengeance? I think so. Do yeah. you what? Do you feel like the movie might have benefited from Jin getting in some kind of hit against Krennic? No. I don't think so. I think one last hit against Krennic, like a like a punch in the I, face or I don't know, a kick I don't in know the ribs or whatever. I don't know about kicking him while he's down. I do. I do sometimes wonder about Cassian being the one to kill Krennic. But I think why it works in the movie is because it feels like, like we said, coming full circle for Cassian's arc, and also a really important like reunification of Jin and Cassian, where the trust does go both ways and now they are like a perfect working unit together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also worry like Cassian just shows up and kills Krennic and we <laughs> well, could believe hasn't. that Cassian was dead. <laughs> um, Cause Krennic's definitely alive. He gets well, to he's alive the so, Death Star show so that up. he can see the beam of the Death Star it's in the a best. couple of seconds. Um, but... No, I think it's okay because I think if Jin's conclusion to this story was oh she just needed to commit a murder for revenge this whole time and she would have been okay i think that's worse i think that's a worse ending if she had been the one to shoot krennic i think that would have reduced her her redemption arc down to a single moment of violence um and i don't think that's what Jin needed it's maybe what cassian needed i think it's what cassian needed but um but Jin's whole arc was about her, about her father and about her mother. And they were both fairly like, I don't, well, her father was very like non, non-violent. Her mother was a tad violent. Um, uh, she was troublesome as ever. <laughs> uh, no, Lyra was definitely a, a more violent sort. But I think that that would have, making it a, a violent ending for, for Krennic at Jin's hand would have been a worse option for Jen. 
when you when you say it like that, I do agree. It it has always sat a little weird for me that Jin doesn't get that moment. That the man gets it and yeah. and the woman doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, I no, I I know what you're saying and like on on paper and in black and white like that, it you're you would be right. But I think that um yeah, I think that the that the the violence of it is um is what tips the scale the other way. Yeah, I agree. I think a, a single moment of violent revenge is not as powerful as the self-actualization we just had. Yeah. Change everything, or change nothing about the scene except who fires the first shot. And Jin's redemption, Jin's character arc is less complete. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. That's how I feel anyways. And um, so uh, Cassian stops her from kicking Krennic in his wounded shoulder. Yep. And it's like really sexy when he does it too. <laughs> it's like calming and careful and soothing. Like he knows it's that there is no use for that anymore. Yeah. It's not time for Jin to go all fight, fight, fight. Um, it's it's over. It's done. Leave it, he says. Leave it. So they hobble off, they hobble off away and Cassian can barely stand. Like, how did he get there? I assume he took the elevator. He must have. He had to have. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they hobble away. Um, I really like that. Um, the next thing that happens as they, they receive, as your, your favorite character, you know, is like. Admiral, receiving transmission from Scarif receiving transmission from scarab <laughs> so excited um as he you know as he's saying that that radis says she did it she did it that is nice that's a, yeah. that's a nice touch well Not he they... saw he saw Jin speak in the council chamber exactly and so if he knows if he knows anything about what's going on down on that planet it's that if if Jin isn't the one who pressed the button to transmit She's the one who made this whole thing happen. Exactly. It was her idea, her call, her plan all along. Yeah. And so when he says she did it, he means it. Yeah. And, she and did it. you know that he felt a kinship with Jin because his reaction to what she had to say was, I say we fight. I say we commit everything to this. Yes. We risk it all on this one mission. Uh, and yeah, I, I think... Again, we don't get a bunch of time with Radis, but we we are able to establish a heroic, uh, not aggressive, but, you know, willing to fight, caring, empathetic leader in the rebellion who knows about the people he's fighting with. Yes. And cares about what they care about. Exactly. Yeah, I I love she did it from Radis. That's uh, why they name don't they name the cruiser after him in in the Last Jedi? Aren't they on the Radis? They are on the Radis. That's true. Heck yeah, <laughs> he's so important. Um, despite only you know barely being on screen, he has such a commanding presence. And yeah, the she did it is so so good. Um. Uh. So then they. They they limp away. I really like, I really like um, 
that even though Cassian was the one that like came up and kind of got the heroic moment that he turns to Jin for like with a question. Do you think anybody's listening? Like he just kind of jumped in and, and shot the shot the bad guy and watched her do the transmit and stuff like you. But he's still the one questioning. Like, do you do you think they're listening? That's Cassian is like, I, <laughs> I've totally changed who I am. And my like, like, my my character has changed so much. Um, and now I'm wondering, did was it worth it? Is anybody listening? And Jin says, I do. Not, I think so. Not maybe. She says, I do think somebody's listening. Someone is out there. You think anybody's listening? I do. Someone's out there. That's hope, baby! <laughs> <laughs> and And I think knowing what we know about, you know, where these plans go and and the results it's easy to say like well of course somebody's listening like Leia's gonna give these to r2d2 who gives them to luke (laughs) like but the margin of victory is so slim here they we'll we'll cover it next month but these plans barely make it yeah and at great sacrifice yeah um and there's only one person listening. There's one ship receiving this transmission. And it gets transferred to one ship. There's not a lot of people out there listening. She hasn't told the whole galaxy how to light this fuse. That was a bluff. She, <laughs> she has told one cruiser that's about to be destroyed how to light the fuse. Yeah. And then another cruiser that will be boarded by Darth Vader. And then, and then they take the plans and they give them to one princess who gives it to one droid who manages to get out in one escape pod to barely make it onto Tatooine. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only time anybody's ever been lucky to land on Tatooine. Um, <laughs> they were aiming for Tatooine though, right? Because Bill yeah. was like, oh, I'm going to send Leia after. No. Yeah. They were going to try and find Obi-Wan. That's why they're there. Yeah. Um, But still lucky. <laughs> it's it's all lucky and it, again narrow narrow margin of victory that's no, almost hope. nobody is listening that's and hope, that, baby. that is what hope is that, <laughs> that's what a rebellion is built on though whoa uh, that's like so the word of the day the word Jin of the has, year Jin has gone from it's not a problem if you don't look up to i know someone's out there. i know somebody's looking i know somebody is listening i'm looking up and i know there's somebody up there she is oh jeez you're right jesus yeah dang it buddy yeah she's yeah she looks up someone is out there someone's up there and they're the ones that give her hope that make her smile there at the end yeah she smiled more during this battle than she has in like her whole life basically (laughs) Yeah. Um I, I bet that her face muscles hurt like a lot. <laughs> more more than more than her other muscles after climbing through an unreasonable oh, shaft. <laughs> she must be so, oh poor things. They're all that's and they're limping away and it's just it's so sad. Like 
Like, Jin's leg is probably broken, and she's carrying Cassian, whose back is definitely broken. Yeah. Um, And then the Death Star shows up. So, you know, Hope, whatever. Hope? hope was, did you have that? Did, did, did we have that for a brief moment? Because then the freaking Death Star shows up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the Death Star is, in this movie remarkably imposing it looks really cool lingering over the the horizon there yeah and we're we're not there yet but there are some shots from within the death star and the implication that the death star is using a fraction of its power that just like add to the majesty i guess maybe add to the the threatening aura of the death star Mm mm-hmm uh, and so when it just like pops out of hyperspace in orbit and is just ready to go, Ugh. the fight has reached its conclusion. Gosh, and the music that plays right there, where it goes all quiet and it's just like a couple of really mournful notes that play as as all you can see is the Death Star. And there's Galen Erso's other child there lingering over, like looming over. Wow. Oh, I mean, no. I mean, yeah. That's. I mean, how many times? How many times in in the however many years we've been doing this this show have we said that Death Star is Galen Erso's other kid, and he and and the Death Star and Jin, both with their hearts of Kyber, and their unmatched power, um, and and Galen's like legacy there on this planet. Yeah, they're they're one and the same. You know, they're both Stardust. And exactly. It's. I mean, it, on one hand, it's uh. It's terrible, right? It's, yeah. It's utterly terrible. But on on the other hand, their fates are intertwined. Like, Jin is destined to balance the Death Star. Because something like the Death Star shouldn't exist. Yeah. And she'll give everything to make sure that that happens. Carry on the intention of her father to make sure that somebody knows that there is a fuse there to destroy it. Yeah. And she's done it. Yeah. And then when <laughs> right before Tarkin says you may fire when ready, like the last the last thing that happens <laughs> is that Krennic wakes up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. Oh what, man. What I love about this movie is it it is not enough to humiliate Krennic to leave him broken on a tower atop Scarif base. <laughs> it it literally the death star's beam goes through the platform he's laying on it hits him right in the face yep it it's not enough it's tarkin saying and screw you in particular yeah and but... and that's like literally the death star misses to do that to Krennic. <laughs> it we're... has to be a little bit <laughs> off of the base in order for that to happen <laughs> <laughs> but we can do this in more in more detail next time because because yes. we'll we'll cover we'll cover the scene on the beach and we'll we'll do all of that. I just have well, just one just one more question. Yeah, I believe that this is um kind of your your area of expertise. Yeah. No, but I want to I want to hear your opinion on on this. Um. Sure. Hey, did they kiss in the elevator? 
Oh, in that brief moment where it was completely dark in the elevator, did they kiss? Did they kiss in the elevator? Uh, we only saw them in the elevator for a second. They were like a hundred feet up, so yeah, a hundred stories up. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, there's there's a possibility. Listen, I don't want to get into it too much because this is this is definitely a topic for the next episode. But the movie deliberately does not end in a kiss between Jin and Cassian. Yes. And it, get... it is, for the record, something I love about this movie. Yeah, it's something I actually really value. Um, yes. A kiss Same. at the end wouldn't save them. No. It wouldn't advance their characters. It wouldn't make us think that their relationship is more special or important. No. Uh, it would just be a kiss for the sake of a kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be very, for lack of a better word, heteronormative. Exactly. Uh, because it would feel obligatory because it's, quote unquote, the right way to end a movie. Uh, so did no, they kiss hard, in the elevator? No, hard, hard agree all around. Yeah. Absolutely. So did they kiss in the elevator? I all, all of that I said. Know. I, you know what? Is that, uh, I, and I, I can go find the, like, proof and, and links or something, but I remember, <laughs> um, I remember when this movie was coming out and they were doing a ton of press tours for it. Yeah. Um, I remember somebody asking Felicity Jones in an interview in a, in a, in a classic example of sexist journalism, yeah. uh, from entertainment journalism, they asked Felicity Jones, uh, who was a better kisser, Diego Luna or... Eddie Redmayne, because Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne had just finished making, or had just won a ton of awards for um, uh, the Stephen Hawking film. What was that, right. what's that called? Theory of Everything. Yeah. Um, they were both nominated for Oscars for that. They had a, they they did a, a wonderful job. The two of them, amazing, great chemistry. Love that. Love that movie. Um, um, and Felicity Jones did not answer because it's an insulting question and like a ridiculous thing to to ask of somebody. Like right. ask her about her role and her like talent and stuff like that. You don't need yeah. to focus on the on the kissing part. But the fact that she um she didn't answer in a well, I've never kissed Diego Luna, <laughs> um, to me means they filmed a scene where they kissed. And it just I, never saw the light of day and for good reason. I think that's tenuous proof at best. Um, <laughs> uh, listen. You enjoy fan fiction. Of course I do. <laughs> uh, of Rogue One. Of course I do. I think if they if they ever kissed, it was in the elevator. Yes. I think if, uh, you know, it, given, given that you change nothing else about the movie except that there's a kiss somewhere, it's probably in the elevator. Yes. I know, I know they didn't kiss any time before getting to the top of that tower no they were like fighting for most of it <laughs> yeah they were mad at each other uh so you know they didn't kiss in um on yavin base you know like they didn't kiss there welcome home was like you know that that was romantic it's very romantic very intimate mm-hmm. um they didn't kiss when they were about to go, like, jump through a window to climb a pile of floppy disks. All all places that a kiss could have happened. It's they could true. have kissed there, but honestly, there's too much that they needed to achieve. And I, I think they both respect the mission too much to kiss mm-hmm. there. Um, In the elevator, everything is complete. They have achieved their mission. They're both near death. um closer to death than they know but also like they're broken super Um, broken and 
yeah i guess if they're gonna kiss anywhere it's in that it's brief there. moment where the elevator goes completely dark it's true. Um, however they did they did not kiss in the elevator no it's I, a, in the in the um in the novelization which we will dedicate episodes to um uh there's a really beautiful line that cassian thinks um it's just it's the novelization is absolutely gorgeous and everybody needs to read it um but at some point they think kind of mutually wouldn't it have been great if we could have known each other longer or if we you know cassian i think thinks the phrase um i think the phrase is uh he didn't know her there wasn't the time um and something so achingly romantic about that, about what what's important about the not kiss in the elevator is that they missed it. They missed the chance. And now they're, now they're goners and that's it. There was, there's no more chances on and on and on until the chances are spent. And, they, and the, the amount of chances that they had were just so few. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't, they don't kiss in the elevator. However, in all my fan fictions, they do. <laughs> and that's fine. We are all entitled to our own fan fictions. Yeah, I do get the sense, and this is not just like a, not just a wishful thinking sort of thing. I do get the sense that there's so much romantic potential between them. Yes. Because of that building trust relationship. And because of the literal acts of service they do for each other. Yes. And and what welcome home means um and you're right it's just, there just isn't the time and i think that adds to the tragedy and in many ways adding to tragedy to make it more poetic and beautiful is more satisfying than like suddenly they kiss you know yeah <laughs> This has been a rough episode. Yep. We've covered a lot of ground. At least we've had a few laughs. Yes. Yeah. This was like really good segment of the movie. This yeah. is like like some some of the greatest moments of, of the film that we've we've just covered and um I'm glad that we I'm glad that we did. Yeah. This is uh there's just a little more. Uh, and I'm excited to cover that in the month of October of the year 2020. It's true. We really do only have one more episode left in this perpetual rewatch. Crazy, right? That is a little ridiculous to consider. I mean, this... that that <laughs> at some point you run out of movie. <laughs> like that's it. We've been doing this for so long. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a big hiatus there in the middle, but like, but even without the hiatus in the middle, like this was, this is so many episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and I just looked at it. We dropped the first trailer and the first episode for this show in June of 2018. It has been just over two years. Like, Wow. You and I officially deserve associate's degrees in Rogue One. <laughs> well, we got one more episode to go. Oh, well, then we haven't passed yet. And Nearly. we will not graduate until we do. We'll do the finals. Because the <laughs> final episode is really... It's the shortest amount of movie that we've covered in any episode. 
There's only five minutes left in this movie from You May Fire When Ready to the end of the film to um, Hope and the Tantive Four pulling away into hyperspace. And that's it. That's it. That's all that's left. That's, I mean, honestly, though, it's a great segment. I am going to really enjoy revisiting it and I cannot wait. It's we've got some really cool stuff in that we've got uh, some amazing stuff from from Vader, from Leia. We've got the ties directly into New Hope. So that's what the next episode will be about. We're going to cover those five minutes and then we're going to talk about kind of the bridge to A New Hope um, and then get some like brief final thoughts on on the adventure. Um, and then from there our our format of the show kind of changes a little bit. Yeah, I mean Rogue Fun will return even without more of Rogue One to cover. Of course. Of course. We may be done with the movie, but there's so much left to do. We've got books, we've got graphic novels, we've got a tie-in series coming soon. Um and we really want to hear from everybody who's listening about uh we want to hear about what you think about the show. We want to hear what you think about the movie, if some opinions have changed, if your uh if you've had new insights that we didn't cover. We want we want it. I want to put together uh a a bunch of remarks from people. I want to gather everything together and and have some time dedicated to like listening to you all talk to us about what you think about the show. Um, and the best way to get a hold of us and to give us that kind of like feedback is uh, via the internet. Oh, the internet, the greatest Star Wars movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, the internet. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod for the show. And then we're also individually on Twitter. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places. Yeah, and I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. Uh, and Alice, we do a couple of podcasts together, uh, including those happy places, which is the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. Yeah, it's uh, it's a wonderful show. We've just had a couple of really good episodes uh, come out and if you're into theme parks or literature or analysis or all of the above that's the show to check out for sure oh yes um and yeah if you want to uh get a hold of us but with more than 280 characters as as dictated by twitter uh you should absolutely come join us on the discord server yeah uh you could ask either of us on twitter for an invite to that discord or you can send us an email yeah, drop me an email at, at um, alicewhitepodcast at gmail.com and I'll send you a link to join that and so you can check out our amazing, amazing discussions. And if you like what we do and you would like to spend a little bit of your hard-earned coin, your hard-earned Republic credits, your hard-earned <laughs> re- uh, Mon Call Flan, uh, <laughs> your hard-earned uh, uh, junkyard parts... That will do fine, I suppose. <laughs> um, you can support us on Patreon. Absolutely. Patreon.com slash those happy places. You can check out all of the tiers. We've got bonus episodes. We've got um, blog posts and uh, more more further discussions on the thing. We've, we've done Rogue Fun bonus episodes where we've talked about... Um, 
uh, Dr. Evanson and Panda Baba appearances in the in the <laughs> film. Um, we've got all sorts of all sorts of great stuff to uh, to to discover, and that's patreon.com slash those happy places. And there's even a tier where you get to hear your name read aloud on our shows. Alice, would you do the honors of reading the list of our fantastic patrons uh, so that they can be honored as gentle people and scholars who make what we do possible? Absolutely. Here we go. Our, our patrons are delightful patrons. Subscribed at a level high enough that they get their name read on the show. We've got Charles G, Oslam C, Ree J, April L, Ian E, Nicholas H, Jim C, Kate P, AJG. You guys rule. <laughs> you are all fantastic. Without you, these shows would not be as amazing as they are. Thank you for your support. Yes, thank you so much. And if you would like to join the uh, join the rank and file of the greatest people on the internet, you can join us at patreon.com slash those happy places. But of course, we understand that times are hard. Yeah. So if you don't feel like you have any extra Republic credits at the moment, the best thing you can do to support the show is to let people know we exist and to <laughs> recommend us to them. Absolutely. Uh, share the show, leave a review, tell your friends, tweet about us, Instagram about us, TikTok about us if you feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you need, whatever you can do to support the show and share it with your friends uh, is, uh, I can't even begin to describe how much it means to us. Yes, every person that finds our shows and lets us know that it means something to them means so much to us. I know I personally hold on to all of those messages uh, in these strange times as a reason to keep making this great work. So Absolutely. Uh, it means the world. Definitely. Alice, thank you so much for doing this show with me. Buddy, thank you so gosh darn much for joining me on the show. You are constantly surprising me with your uh, with your analysis and your deep, deep, deep thoughts on this i shouldn't be surprised every month and yet you continue to top yourself i feel the same way i don't think there's a person in this or in any other galaxy that knows these characters the way you do and you have blown me away every time we've recorded you are the heart and soul of this show oh. i feel so honored oh, to be I'm a part of cry it. again <laughs> hey alice rogue fun pulling away may the force be with us